0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: Jesus knows everything I do not. Jesus can do anything I can. He has resources that they don't ever run out. Mine run out pretty quick. So, you know, he is the head of the church, and so we want to keep that. Every gathering, every time we come together, the focus, the who we're looking at, who's the worship going to, it really should be all about Jesus. He should have the preeminence, the supremacy in the church because it's His, and He's the head of the church.
0: When you attend your local church, where should your focus be? Pastor Bill, in today's message, reminds you that all focus should be directed towards Jesus. All things were created on earth through Him, by Him, and for Him jesus deserves all of your worship attention and glory pastor bill reminds you that jesus is the head of the church the members are his body encourage your brothers and sisters of faith to also stay single-minded on christ jesus is always to be our first priority and above everything now here's pastor bill in the book of colossians chapter 1 as he continues his message supremacy of christ
1: So we got to be careful. There are people that are curious about the unknown, curious about spiritual things. We don't tamper with or dabble in that in any other way other than going through the one that created it. And so he says, look, I'm the creator of all things that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible. That whole section here where it says thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all these are referring to, you know, spiritual entities in the unseen realm. So Moving on now, the rest of verse 16, he says, All things were created now through him. What's the difference of it being created by him and being created through him? By him spoke of him being the source of creation, through him means he's the agent of creation. He's the person in the Godhead that had the creative act. God is the one. Some of y'all are designers. Some of you guys like to design things. You see it in your mind and you you put it all together. That is not my gift. My wife, my daughter, they got that. I know some other people that can see something and kind of get a vision and do it. God's that person. Jesus is that person of the Godhead. It was by him, but it's also through him. It's, it's through his creative powers, through it. He's the agent of creation. And then lastly, and maybe most importantly, it says for him, everything is created for Jesus. Did you know that? Because you're part of creation. Did you know that you were created for Jesus? You might say, well, what does he want with me? What does Jesus need with or want with me? If every one of us is created for him, what does he want with us? couple things. First thing on his heart is Jesus intends to save you, right? Every one of us is in need of a savior. How many of us know that we sin and fall short of God's glory? We blow it, we sin, we mess up. All of us, right? We need to be saved, we need to be forgiven, we need to be cleansed. Jesus says, look, I I want to do that for you. I actually left heaven. I, I want you to understand this. Jesus was in heaven chilling. Everything was as it should be for Jesus. He was worshiped. He was glorified. Angels were singing all day long. Holy, holy, holy. He was treated the way he's supposed to be treated. He left all of that and came to earth, born of a virgin, had a mom tell him what to do, lived in a community where they told him, your mom had you out of wedlock. He had people that he created in the world that he created talking smack to him. How many of you guys could deal with that? Right? Let's say you start the business. You own the business. You create the business, and then you step into your business, and people that work in your business is talking smack to you. How many of y'all handle that well? Well, you'll, we'll be we'll be terrible Jesuses, right? You'll fire the whole company in one day. Yeah, everybody fired, him starting from scratch. You know, not Jesus. He came. He endured that for you and for me. He went beyond that. He had people, you know, accuse him of things he didn't do. He took it. He went to the cross. He picked 12 disciples. He knew Judas was a mole. He needed somebody to betray him so he can get to the cross because he came to die. And ultimately, he went to the cross in my place and in your place. And all my sin, all my guilt and my shame and my sin and yours, he took it upon himself and he died. He paid him full for what we did. And now he says, look, I want to save you. That's what I want to do. All things are for me. You are for me. I want to save you. I want to save you from your sins that you can be a relationship with me. Here's what transpires. When you come to Christ by faith in the finished work of Jesus, the Bible says that Christ's blood that was shed for you, he now purchases you, right? You were a slave to sin. You were in, you were in the clutches of Satan, but now through the blood of Christ, you are purchased by the blood of Jesus. Now you belong to him. You've been purchased by his blood. You become his son or his daughter. Now you belong to him. And now your life is his. It belongs to him. That's that's what he came for. He came to redeem you from Satan. That's one thing that he wants. That's why he came. That's one of the reasons all things are for him. You in his creation are made for him. So if you are saved, you've been saved for his glory. There's something God wants to do in you and with you and through you. If you're not yet saved and you're here today or you're watching today or you're listening today, then today would be for you the day of salvation. Jesus died that you would come into relationship with him that you would know him intimately and personally. He knew you couldn't do it on your own. He did for you what you could never do. And so, again, all things have been made by him and for him and ultimately through him but for him. And salvation is the first step. Then after you get saved, God says, now I want to use your life. Right? If you get saved, if if that was it, I, I guess we would just get saved and die and go to heaven. But he says, now that you belong to me, I want to use your life for my glory. And many of us got born again and God has been using you and you've been used to lead others to Christ and encourage others in their relationship with the Lord. Because God said, now I saved you with purpose. I want to do something in you and through you for my glory. All things were made by him and through him and for him. And we should know human beings. We are the glory of his creation, right? Y'all know y'all are more important than the animal kingdom to God. This is how you can know that. There ain't no plan of redemption for the animal kingdom. Y'all know when your dogs die, I'm so sorry. If anybody's dogs have died recently, but when the dogs die, guess what? That's it. Don't go to the, the fluffy clouds in the heavens. You know, they, you're not going to see fluffy when you get there. They're not all your, all your dogs over your lifetime not going to run up and nip you in the heels when you make it to heaven. Animal kingdom, when they die, that's it. But for you and for me, God made a plan. We are eternal beings. We get the opportunity to be in relationship with the living God and have eternity through him. And so all things created uh, by him, through him and ultimately for him. Look at verse 17. Now we know he's the one that holds all things together. Verse 17 says, "And he is before all things and in him all things consist." He's before all things again. This is he's before he's an importance and significance and preeminence. He is before all things, Christ is supreme in every area. He said, but I also also in me, all things consist. I was reading on this with one guy. I'm, I'm not a big, a big science guy, but the idea of everything consisting in him is, is that he's sustaining. He's sustaining everything in the universe. He's the source of sustenance for everything that we see in science. And this is a scientific thing. It says matter is made up of space. Which doesn't make sense because like, well, what holds all that together, right? If matter is made up of space and what holds all the space and all the stuff together right here. Jesus says, I do. I hold all things together. It would seem that if God would take his hands off, everything would just go to nothing. He's the one that everything consists in him. He's holding all things together. Some people wonder. Why, why is it taking so long for God to come back? Why are things going on so long? Things are getting so bad. Why is it taking so long? And I, we are told in second Peter, we give him one answer where God says, look, God is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but get this. He's long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I would suppose there were believers crying for the Lord to come back. Maranatha back in 1985. And had he came back in 1985, I wasn't saved yet. If he'd have came back in 1993, I wasn't saved yet. If he had came in 1994, I was at my absolute worst. I would have went to hell on the quick ship. But I got saved in October of 1995 by the grace of God. I'm glad he didn't come back before then. Now, I'm saved today. I would love for the Lord to come back today. But do you all know some people that are lost today? So how do we know that God is saying, I'm, I'm just giving opportunity. At some point, it's going to be a wrap, right? We don't know when that is. And so we want to be about our father's business, but all things consist in him. He's holding all things together. Look at verse 18 now. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And so here we're told that Christ is the head of the body of the church. The church is, you know, pictured in a few different ways in scripture. One of the more common ways is the church is looked at as the body of Christ. In Corinthians, Paul talked about how the body, you know, you had all the different parts of the body and you got a mouthpiece and feet and hands and and everything else. Every part, everybody in the body of Christ, you're a part and your part is important. Everybody can't be an ear. Everybody can't be a mouth. Everybody can't be a foot. But we all play some part in his body. In other places, the, the church is represented as a bride. But here Paul says, look, Christ is the head of the body, the church. We're reminded today in this text that Jesus is the head of the church. The church is his entity. He is the head of this thing. Most everything God created, there was leadership established for what he created. Anybody here that's in a marriage, Christ established leadership for the family structure. Who's the head of the household? One, I'm going to say that one more time. This is the quiz. Who is the head of every Christian household? One, One more again. One more again. Who, who is the head of every Christian household? All right. I heard the right and the wrong. So Christ is the head of the husband. Then the husband is the head of the wife and the husband and wife are over the what? The little babies, right? So that's Christ's proper order. So it's not you. We can't start with the man. It's the man is under leadership too. The man has to be under who? That puts Christ as the head of the Christian home if we do it right. That's what it should look like. So when you come to the church, who's the head of the church? Right. I'm not the head of the church. I just got a job here, right? I preach here, but I'm not the head of this thing. I'm not the boss of this. I'm not running this. I, this, he is in charge of this. We got to go ask him before we make decisions about what we're going to do. It is him that we worship and revere when we come together. I am like everybody else in the body here. I have a part to play. Some of us serve in one way, some serve in another, some are running the sound and, and technical stuff. some are leading and worship, some are protecting and guarding, some are cleaning and setting up and tearing down. Some are speaking and sharing. We're all just part of the body, but the head of this thing is Jesus. And every church needs to remember that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. There's no man is fit or equipped to be the head of the church. I don't have enough to be the head of his church. I can't be to anybody what Jesus can be. Jesus is available 24-7. I am not. Jesus knows everything. I do not. Jesus can do anything. I can't. He has resources that they don't ever run out. Mine run out pretty quick. So, you know, he is the head of the church. And so we want to keep that. Every gathering, every time we come together, the focus, the who we're looking at, who's the worship going to, it really should be all about Jesus. He should have the preeminence, the supremacy in the church because it's his and he's the head of the church. So we want to be careful of, you know, religious gatherings and groups where it's supposed to be a church, but there's not much of Christ on display. Not much of him spoken of the, it seems the focus seems to be elsewhere. Be, be cautious of that. Christ should be the centerpiece. We should be praying to him, singing to him, reading about him, learning about him, drawing near to him. I should leave here, loving him more, knowing him better than anything else. That should be what we walk away with because that's the goal of the church It's his church and he's the head of it. So again, he's the, the head of the body of the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. This word here, preeminence, it means to be first or to have first place. And this can mean in rank or it, the idea here is, is is an influence. And so I would ask you guys, what we could we say today that Christ has preeminence in our lives? Or is there something else? If you would look at your life and say, you know what? What has first place? What has, what is first in priority in your life? Is it Jesus? If it is not Jesus, right? Then at this point today, I'm I'm encouraging you. The point of all of what we're looking at. If if Jesus, we've looked at the fact that he is preeminent. He is all that. He's creator of everything. It's by him, through him, for him. If that's not true in your life, then I'm exhorting you in the love of Christ that, that, that right now there would be a turnaround. That you would acknowledge, you know, whatever I have raised up above Jesus, I should take that down and I should put Jesus in that place. I should remove that thing and put Christ there. It could be a desire. It could be a hobby. It could be something you enjoy. It can be a career. It can be a relationship. Nothing deserves to be over Jesus in your life. Nothing else deserves the preeminence. And I'm going to tell you why, because nothing else is going to get you into heaven. Amen. Nothing else died for you. Nothing else took care of your sin debt. Nothing else is going to make you, cause you to be reconciled to God, which you need more than anything else. Nothing else can do that. So if there's something else that you're like, but I like this a lot, I've loved this. Put it down. Reduce it. Put Jesus there. Put the one who loves you. Put the one who died for you. Put the one who, who, he died to be the head of your life. Put him in his rightful place in your life. He should have The preeminence, I understand the world doesn't accept this and they fight this to their own hurt. But as believers, we should yield to this. This should be for us. I'm comfortable putting Christ above everything. And I'll say this. I've been a Christian for a while. So there've been times as a Christian where I realized I let something creep up into a place of greater significance while walking with the Lord, while going to church, while serving in ministry, man, I let that creep up in my heart and then I got to just repent. And, and get back on track so it's not like something you do one day one time you got to maintain this and many things in our world compete with christ's oneness they create they compete for for the position that he deserves in your life and so you got to fight sometimes to keep him where he, where he belongs any relationship that you have you got to fight to keep things in their rightful place right i'm married and i got a rule a rule in my life is that my wife will never have to compete for the number one spot, the, as far as human beings are concerned, right? I believe that in a marriage, your wife or your husband, if you're married, that's your number one human relationship. That's above the kids. That's above the parents. That's above the cousins, the nieces, the nephews, the siblings, the homies, and all of that above. So in my life, my, I don't let my wife compete. There is zero competition for my wife. My wife is not looking at one of my friends. Well, Whenever he calls, you just leave. No. If somebody called, I'm like, hey, babe, you know, I was, I was maybe going to go do this, but what you know what you want to do? I, I give her first place. That's to me. I, cause I want my marriage to be right. So I'm keeping that right. Well, in my spiritual life, I got to do that with Jesus. Right? God, God, there should be no competition with you for the number one spot in my heart. And whenever I realize something is creeping up there, I got to just repent of it. I got to turn from it. I got to put it away. Nothing deserves. You shouldn't have to compete. Right? Y'all know God is a jealous God. Right? Why does he tell us that? Because we know what it is to be jealous. Some of y'all here is jealous. Would y'all agree that jealous people are just a little crazy? Just a little bit? Just a little bit. Just And what they might do with a jealous person, if you make the wrong kind of person jealous, right? There, there might be some jail time and some bloodshed, right? Jealousy is a bad thing. God says, hey, I want you to understand this. Because sometimes God relates to us in terms that we can understand. He says, "Look, hey, I'm a jealous God. Y'all have been made in my image. So y'all know what jealousy is. I am a jealous God. So when I see you, my people worshiping something, that's not me. God's like, I don't like that. And all you got to do is go back and study your old Testament. And you can see that there are times when God's people turn from him to worship other gods. And God was like, you know what? I've had about enough today. Open up the ground, right? I've had about enough today. I mean, he would just, when he had enough, he had enough and there would be difficult times coming for those that were doing so. So, we should just keep him in the number one spot, not because he's going to open up the ground and eat you up, but because he loves you and he died for you. And hopefully we want him as much as he desires the relationship with us. And so moving on now, look at verse 19. It says, for it pleased the father that in him, all the fullness should dwell here. It just lets us know it, it pleased The father, that word dwell means that the idea of permanent, that all the fullness of God dwells in Christ and is permanent. It's not like he became this. He didn't develop this over time. He was always God and it's always dwelt with him. It says it pleased the father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. So for those that would try to diminish Jesus to a lesser form of God, we just got told right here, all the fullness dwells in him. So he's not partially God. He's all the way God. Amen. And that's why these verses are here just so, so we have these things very clearly. Last verse, look at verse 20. It says, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, rather things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Here it says that, that again, it's going to be by him, by Jesus, that God reconciles all things to himself. This was the whole. This was the whole plan of everything. Why did God send his son? Why did all these things happen? God was on a mission to see reconciliation between people that have been broken in their relationship with God. And so God said, it's going to be by him, by Jesus. And he's going to reconcile all things to himself, rather things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Interesting is usually you hear about the blood of Jesus and usually you hear about the cross, but here we got the blood of his cross. This is where God fixed everything at the cross. This is why the cross is important to believers and to Christians, because everything was fixed. Everything that was broken was made right at the cross. We sin, but they were paid in full on the cross. We were separated from God, but we we're reconciled through his blood on the cross. We were enemies with God, but we were made friends and children through the cross. Everything that was broken gets fixed at the cross. I love to tell people what the Bible says about us before we get saved so we can appreciate what salvation brings about. The Bible says before you got saved in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 that you were separated from God. Says God's hand is not short that it cannot save, nor is its ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your sins have separated between you and your God. Sin brought separation between you and God. We're told in Romans six twenty three that we had a spiritual death sentence. For the wages of sin is death. There was a spiritual death sentence upon the life of the believer. But that second part of that verse says, "But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ." Our Lord, we're told that we had in Ephesians two, that we were spiritually dead, right? We were the living dead, literally in our relationship with God, we were alive, but we were spiritually dead. We were dead. It says him, those who he made alive, we were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. We were spiritually dead, but God now makes us spiritually alive. All these things radically changed. We put our faith in Jesus. The spiritually dead are now spiritually alive. Those that were separated are now reconciled. Those that were enemies are now friends. Those that were blind are now able to see those that were Satan's children now become God's children. All these things transpire at the cross. So as we wrap this up today, it it is my exhortation to things. Either we're believers and these truths about Jesus encourage our hearts and I hope they stir us up to share Jesus with other people that our love for Jesus, it should just overflow from us, that we should be just so grateful that we got this great situation with God that we, I got to share this with everybody that I know. Everybody that'll listen to me, everybody that'll hear me share it, I want to tell it to them. And so for those that are here, you're saved, you know you're saved. You know you have a relationship with the Lord. Fight the fight to keep Jesus supreme in your life. Don't let anything battle for the number one spot that Jesus only deserves. And make sure that this is the overflow of your heart. We're living in critical days, you guys. We're living in weird times. We're living with all kind of contention going on all around. Everybody arguing and debating this, that, and the fifth and the third, and politics and racial tensions and blah, blah, blah. Jesus. What is the answer to every problem in the world right now? Jesus. You need to believe that and preach that, right? I don't believe we're going to vote out the problem. Jesus is the answer. You're not going to vote it in. You didn't vote it in, Vote it out this... As long as there's a man leading this thing, it's going to be broken. Do y'all know that? It don't matter what group he's with, what team he's for. It's always going to be that we will not have righteous government until Jesus Christ rules and reigns. So we pray for the people that are in charge. And as believers, we preach Jesus to the broken and fallen world. There's racial tension and division. People are dying in this week. Re- What's the answer to that? Jesus. Some of them criminals need. Jesus. Some of them police officers need Jesus. So I can't join a team saying I'm pro this I'm for them and against them as a believer. I'm for everybody coming to who Jesus. And if we live that way, we'll be fruitful, right? This, let this just be the overflow of your life as a child of God. Jesus, let that ooze over. I ain't got time to complain with you about what's going on. Cause my complaint, complaining ain't never fixed nothing. And the Holy spirit ain't never moved anybody to complain. Y'all know that? There's no anointing on complaining. There's no healing through complaining. Nothing gets better through complaining. The Holy Spirit never one time in scripture moved a man to complain. The Holy Spirit had given me some answers and are found in the Bible in the person of Jesus. That is for my believers, right? If you're here or you're watching or listening and maybe you're not really walking with the Lord, right? Then I am exhorting you, begging you. I'm not challenging. I'm begging you, bleeding with you that you come to Christ today, why would you miss out on a relationship with a God like this? That He loves you, He's ready to forgive you, receive you as His own, even now.
0: You've been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Colossians, this book is a letter penned by the Apostle Paul. We find him sitting in a Roman prison, where he just received news that the church in Colossae was being infiltrated with false teaching that went against the very nature of Jesus. How dangerous would it be to start believing that Jesus wasn't who he said he was and is? This was why Paul confronted this issue and reminded the Colossian church that God's sufficient for all we need. When we think we can't go on, he gives us endurance. When you feel like you've messed up one too many times, He takes it away by His blood. When you're in doubt, He gives you peace. If you've ever felt these ways before, there's hope in Jesus, friends. And the more you dive into His Word, you'll find this to be true. In fact, if you visit our website, calvaryinglewood.org, we have a daily Bible reading plan just for you. Again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. If you've got any questions or simply need someone to talk to, we're waiting Just call 310-245-4811. Our prayer is that as you walk through life, you have a deep personal relationship with Jesus. So commit this number to your memory, 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood out of Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today. This has been a transforming word.